Algar Productions. This story, like most stories, takes place in the universe. Contrary to what you may have been told elsewhere, the universe is actually quite empty. That's where the word space comes from. Look it up if you don't believe me. The point is, a hypothetical spacecraft, which we will be joining momentarily, just be patient, I'm trying to make a point here, a hypothetical spacecraft could travel at top speed for a thousand years and never encounter so much as an interesting rock, much less a planet capable of sustaining detectable intelligent life. And yes, in the interest of not making this complicated, I'm going to be using words like years. You know what years are. Making up some alien form of time measurement would just annoy us both. Anyway, where was I? Oh, right. Space, and the emptiness thereof. There are, of course, plenty of inhabited planets out there, but it takes considerable dedication and technological prowess to find them. As a species, you have to really want to make contact with your interstellar neighbors. Or, in the case of one particularly nasty culture, you have to really want to wipe out indigenous cultures and strip their land for resources to fuel your insatiable imperialist motives. I did mention that this was a completely fictional story, right? The Imperial Invasion Force has entered low orbit. Yes, thank you. I assumed that's what the alarm klaxons and panicked screaming were about. Uh, eminence is now really the appropriate time for sarcasm? If not now, when? <sighs> okay, how many ships are we looking at? Just one. One? Well, maybe things aren't quite as hopeless as we feared. Maybe this mighty empire isn't as... Eminence, this single ship contains... More weaponry than we've ever produced in our entire civilization's history combined. I can't even pronounce some of these weapons, much less comprehend the fundamental technology behind them. Well, I suppose there's no point in putting this off any longer. What are you... Why are you putting your hat on me? You're the Eminence now, Eminence. Your spawn mother would be so proud that you managed to rise to a position of such distinction, despite your unfortunate speech impediment. My, my what? You know, all those weapons you can't pronounce. Anyway, Eminence, it would appear that the ship is trying to contact us. You'd better answer that. And, and what will you be doing, Eminence? Um, f- former Eminence? I'll be heading for my escape shuttle. Farewell! Oh, God. Yes? Hi, hello? Really? That's how you greet the magnificent one-of-a-kind warship that's about to lay waste to your planet? Yes, hi, hello? I had technicians setting up translation matrices all morning. Clearly they needn't have bothered. Your terrified drooling speaks in a fundamental language that transcends speech. Oh, God. In the interest of expediency, let me walk you through this. I say, you are now under the auspices of the Empire. You will give us your resources and hand over all administrative authority to our officials immediately. And then you say, we would rather die than give up our planet, blah, blah, blah. Do we have to? Oh, yes. End transmission. What do we know about these people? They're a proud and noble race whose traditions... Not you. But, sir... I am well aware of what you've been programmed with, Metal Man. Nevertheless, I believe I have made your duties extremely clear. Keep my appointments, get my food, take notes. 
Your primary programming is superseded by my prerogative as the master of this vessel, and you have no more right to countermand that prerogative than the vessel itself does. Yes, sir. Now, does any actual flesh-and-blood person, preferably with a working knowledge of xenoterrorism, have any significant data for me? I do, Captain Skidarius, sir. Let's hear it, Cadet. Cadet Lanix, sir. I've studied the culture that currently infects the subject world, and... I've discovered a significant detail in their religious beliefs that I believe we can use to our advantage. Go on. Well, sir, they believe that dying in the defense of a righteous cause, for instance, defending their homeworld from invasion, is noble. I'm waiting for the part that we can use to our advantage. Um, it, it seems, sir, that they have a particular fear of fire, and anyone killed in a fire, regardless of what they're defending, will be doomed to an eternity in this culture's hell. There it is. Excellent work, Cadet. We'll prepare the firebombs. Actually, sir, the instant death delivered by our firebombs wouldn't quite live up to their religion's requirements. Through some obscure cultural contrivance, they have to be aware that they're on fire. We can work with this. Sergeant, prepare your troops for a level 2 surface invasion. Outfit our fighters with petrochemicals and instruct the pilots that each citizen on the planet must be set aflame individually. Understood, sir. You heard the captain. Level 2 invasion on the double. Burn them all to the ground. Extra bonuses for the most humorous kills. Cadet, in recognition of your contributions, I would like you to personally oversee the assault on the planet's capital. Sir? You heard me. Suit up. Once the first wave of fighters completes their mission, I want you down there to personally receive their leader's surrender. Unless you have a problem with that. No, sir. I'm on it, sir. Thank you, sir. Sir, if we may continue our discussion... Were we having a discussion? We were, Captain. Then I must not have been clear. I'm fully aware that you're supposed to be assisting in high-level calculations, heavy lifting, and advanced weaponry, and I have you making my coffee. Yes, of course they have coffee. They wouldn't be an advanced culture if they didn't. I'm sure you perceive, which is to say you simulate perceiving, some kind of slight from this action. And I'm sure I don't care. The simple fact of the matter is, you are a thing. I trust people to perform these tasks more than I trust things, and honestly, I barely trust most people to do them. You're only here because explaining how I lost such a costly piece of materiel would have been more paperwork than I care to do. I find paperwork tedious, which, to bring this all together nicely, is why I have a yeoman. And now, yeoman, I am going to the observation deck to watch a highly advanced culture burn to the ground. I would advise hiding behind several layers of shielding, as we're not entirely certain that our electromagnetic pulse device won't play havoc on every robot on the ship. And I'd hate to have to create a whole new calendar from scratch. But first, I need to take this call from Sergeant Hartogan, a man who takes orders much more efficiently than the actual machine we built for that task. What is it, Sergeant? Sir, I'm in the capital with the cadet you set down here. That was fast. Yes, sir. He seemed pretty eager to get to work. However... There's always a however. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, the being you contacted prior to the invasion has taken the cadet hostage. Don't come any closer. I'll wake them. So, so help me. I'll blow his head off. You know what to do, Sergeant. Yes, sir. Take the shot. <laughs> Thank you, sir. I was just what Was that all, Sergeant? Yes, sir. We'll have things wrapped up down here within the hour. Hartogan out. They shot one of our people. You're damn right they did. Sergeant Hartogan knows full well that I can't abide weakness. A head for data and a can-do attitude are useless if you can't avoid the hostile advances of a primitive life form. Does that sound like the behavior of a superior being to you? I suspect. You don't actually want me to answer that, sir. Maybe you are learning after all, Yeoman. I'll be in my quarters and I'll take that coffee in about 30 minutes. 
To understand the people we're dealing with in this story, although honestly the previous scene paints a pretty good picture, I think, we should probably backtrack a bit. Come with me to a time not quite as long ago as you'd think, to a nameless planet not terribly far, cosmically speaking, from the actions we have recently witnessed. It was a planet that, by all accounts, should never have developed life in the first place. Toxic oceans gave way to improbably robust, single-celled organisms. And with each slight evolutionary lurch forward, with each new mutation that made them more likely to survive, came an almost spiteful pushback by an environment that did not seem to want them. But would have passed for extinction events on other worlds simply toughened the remaining handful of life forms, preparing them for the next event, and the next one, and so on through the ages. The prevailing theory was that the fledgling lifeforms on this world were, for reasons nobody could definitively prove, prone to an unusually wide range of mutations. The resulting diversified population was consequently prepared for pretty much anything the planet could throw at them. Or at least a few of them would be. Those few could then breed and resume their survival and continuation. Things went on like this for millennia until ecological disasters began to, relatively speaking, subside. At this stage in their development, the dominant lifeforms were blue-skinned, bilaterally symmetrical bipeds with unusually large heads and whiteless eyes. This is all relative to humans, obviously, since it's most likely that you listening to this now are a human. Just picture your typical classic gray alien, only instead of gray, they're blue. They had stabilized and begun to socialize. For given definition of socializing, of course. This was a race that had been driven to the edge of extinction so many times that murder, mistrust, and deceit weren't just survival traits, they were as instinctive as blinking or breathing. The brutality of nature had now, for the most part, been replaced by tribal brutality, a species that had learned that the only way to continue and thrive was out of sheer force of spiteful will had learned to wipe out any competition for same. And not at all surprisingly, they saw nearly every member of their race as competition. It was into this situation, during this world's equivalent of Earth's Bronze Age, that a small contingent of alien scientists inadvertently stumbled. They had been monitoring the situation on the planet for decades, discreetly from orbit at first. One scientist, determined to see these evolutionary marvels up close, constructed a geostationary elevator from their orbital research station to the planet below. I have to say, the prospect of seeing these creatures up close is exhilarating. I can't remember anything in all the time I've been a xenoanthropologist being this exciting. Yeah, I guess. Hey, listen, you, you don't suppose there's any possible ways these bastards could, say, overpower us and ride this space elevator back up to the orbital station, do you? Oh, the chances of that happening are... 100%? Our hardy little survivors found their way onto the elevator, wiped out the scientists, and commandeered their technology. Within a decade, they had mastered this technology and set out to hunt down what they perceived as unwelcome alien invaders. Within three decades, they had done so and proceeded to colonize their solar system. Within a century, with the help of their ill-gotten scientific advances, they had adopted a policy of aggressive interstellar expansionism. Ingrained in their psyches over countless eons was the notion that I must survive at the expense of anyone else. But they were now gathered together in a much larger expression of the same concept. 
we must survive at the expense of anyone else. Using artificial wormholes to sidestep the whole issue of faster-than-light travel, they continued to build their empire, confident in all the knowledge that theirs was the superior race and all other races existed to serve them, or else they would cease to exist altogether. And as we resume the story we began so many pages ago, we reboard an experimental vessel known as the Fulla Bulla. Commanded by the ruthless Captain Scudarius with whom we have already become acquainted, the Fulla Bulla is entering her third month of flight test. Specialists of every imaginable variety are working to determine the limits of the ship's potential for cruelty. So far, they have yet to discover those limits. Okay, I'm done now. Sorry to intrude, Captain. Were you sleeping? How is that any business of yours? Sir, you asked me to alert you when we arrived at Research Station Epsilon. Yes, Epsilon. Would you rather we use some made-up jumble of awkward syllables separated by a random assortment of apostrophes? Let me go ahead and answer for you. Of course you wouldn't. We'll just stick with your standard issue cool-sounding Greek designation in this case. I'd say I didn't so much ask you as I did order you. Yes, sir. Well? We are there, sir. Here, at the research station. Well done, yeoman. I told you to do a thing, and after a fashion, you actually did that thing. That's one in a row. You must be so proud. Yes, sir. It's just... Also, there doesn't appear to be anyone manning the research station. We've been trying to contact them since we got into range, and no response, sir. The important thing is that you managed to say the word sir so many times that it's completely lost all meaning. I'm on my way to the bridge. See that you're there before I am. Scadarius out. Captain to Sergeant Hartogan. Yes, sir. Sergeant, apparently there's a problem on the research station. This problem is likely a broken radio, but in case it's something more, I want you to take 50 or 60 of your most bloodthirsty bastards down there. We're on it. Our token out. All right, you metal idiot. Let's see if you actually manage to make it to the bridge without falling over your own giant mechanical feet. Captain on the bridge. As you were. What's the situation? Well, sir. Someone with an actual respiratory system who might actually be winded after a bracing sprint to the bridge, as opposed to a machine that thinks it should simulate that? Yeah, I don't think I didn't notice. Transmission from the surface, Captain. I believe it's... Report. Captain, there's nobody down here but a bunch of greenskins. They seem to have overrun the entire station. I can hear that you're taking the appropriate cleanup measures, Sergeant. Call back with any new developments. Aye, sir. Our token out. Oh, right. So, our blue-skinned... heroes? That's not the right word. Protagonists will have to do. Anyway, those guys are huge racists, which I think we've pretty well established. But one thing I neglected to mention was that members of their own species are sometimes born with green skin instead of blue. And perhaps unsurprisingly, these are the people that the titular blue people hate the most. This may sound slightly ridiculous, but if you think about it for a minute, you may discover that this has happened before on your own planet. Believe it or not. The green people, under the leadership of the charismatic Captain Salami, have been slowly and deliberately organizing into a coordinated terrorist group intent on winning their freedom and equality, or destroying the Empire altogether. Whichever comes first, really. And yes, his name is Captain Salami. There's a whole story behind that, but I'm sure you'd much rather get back to the action at this point. Scadarius, report. Captain, it would appear that the green skins we've been encountering here were originally blue skins. Say again, Sergeant? Apparently, Captain Salami's rebel terrorist group detonated some kind of genetic mutation device, similar to some of the nastier ordnance we have aboard the Fulla Bulla. 
Only this device somehow transformed these upstanding imperial citizens into racially impure vermin. Subtle, right? Best we can tell, the rebel fleet just departed a few hours ago. Your orders, sir? Finish the job down there as quickly as you can and get back up here. Captain, you're having them eliminate over a hundred imperial researchers. Scadarius out. Now I realize there was a lot of confusion and chaos coming through over the comm just now. It's certainly possible I misheard someone who may have attempted to speak to me while the channel was open, because the other possibility that this goddamn can opener- Yes, they have can openers. Are you going to do this every time something like this comes up? Openly question my orders on the bridge of my own ship is simply unfathomable. But I must have been mistaken, because the elimination of suboptimal species in favor of optimal species, i.e. our species, is, and always has been, standard protocol. We're in one business as a culture, survival. And it doesn't matter what those things down there were before today. Now they're inferior, and they're trespassing on Imperial property. Now, when our troops return from their very necessary cleanup mission, I expect to have a specific direction in mind to give to the Navigator. So those of you who are capable of tracking where those rebel ships went, I suggest you get to tracking. The Fullabulla was soon underway, tracking the rebel fleet to a planetary zoo that the rebels intended to liberate. It will not shock you to learn that this zoo contained a number of sentient and intelligent creatures, including a pair of Earth humans who had inadvertently been pulled there through a matter transference device. What Thelma and Joe were not aware of was that they'd been inadvertently pulled into an interstellar conflict that had been raging for many of their Earth years. Hey, go narrate your weird little soap opera. This is my story. So, the Fullabulla landed on the zoo planet. The Imperial troops directly engaged the rebel forces while Captain Skidarius located their leader and confronted him directly. So, Skidarius, we finally meet face to face, elbow to elbow, cheek to cheek. I must vanquish you now for the good of the galaxy and the future of civilization itself. Sorry. How appropriate that our final confrontation comes here in a zoo. When you and your pathetic forces have been defeated, and you will be defeated, we can lock you up with the rest of the inferior specimen. Choose your weapon, Captain. You know what I choose. Really, a wooden stick? We have ray guns, you know. The ceremonial pugil sticks of our ancestors have been used to settle disputes like ours for such- Ow, dick! Have at you! The fight went on for some time. The Earth humans managed to escape from their cages and return home. And if you're really interested in who those people are and what they got up to, you can check out episode 6 of Contentment Corner. If that's the sort of thing you think you'd enjoy. I'm not here to judge. As it became clear the rebel forces were seriously outmatched, they retreated to their ships and fled into space. Don't lose them, helmsmen, or I'll see to it that you lose. Captain. We no longer have visual confirmation on the target vessel. Then track the damn comm signal. We're trying, sir, but it seems to be coming from all around us. I think they're using a- I am Captain Salami. Just pick a direction and pursue. Aye, Captain. Charting a course into the- You'd better hope it's the right one, Helmsman. The warp gate? No, wait. There they are, just behind us. Firing on the warp gate. Brace for impact.
The resulting malfunction sent the Imperial ship to a distant point across the galaxy and in the process cut off any hope of a return trip. We now rejoin the crew of the Fullabulla as they find themselves stranded about 50,000 light years from their point of origin. Captain Scuderius is, as you might well imagine, not particularly thrilled by this development. How the fuck? A bunch of fucking animals managed to get the fucking drop on this fucking crew, a crew that Imperial fucking High Command assured me was the fucking cream of the fucking crop. Everything I said before about creating exotic alien alternatives to things goes double, triple, even for profanity. You will not find any smeg or frack here. Sorry, I'm just not that guy. I am in mid fucking rant. So unless that fucking alarm means that the fucking ship is literally on fucking fire, it can fucking wait. Now what the- Based on syntax analysis, there is a 94.3% chance your next word will be fuck. You'd better be experiencing some kind of critical failure, metal man, or you're about to be. Explain yourself. Gladly, we have assumed temporary control of this crude mechanical life form. Well, who the fuck are you? You have entered a region of space administered by the system. The system? We can't all be as singularly original as the Empire. What is this- mist that's seeking into my ship. We once existed as you do, as biological life forms. But long ago, we evolved beyond the need for solid consciousness and uploaded our very essence into tiny nanobots that manifest themselves as... The cloud. You're literally a cloud. You may perceive us as such, but we assure you we are much more than this. Transcending to this higher level of existence was the most significant event in our culture's long history. It is a gift and we intend to share with you. Hartogan here, Captain. That mist that's creeped into the ship is literally eating my men alive. Digitizing them, you will all become one with. You know, I think I like the cloud better than the system. We'll have to integrate that into our next upgrade. Sergeant, I want you to listen to me very carefully. We're carrying an electromagnetic pulse device. I want you to activate... That'll be enough of that. Fortunately for you, I think Sergeant Hartogan is bright enough to figure out the last word of that sentence. For the record, it was it. An EMP device will only delay the inevitable, and it will destroy the consciousness that normally lives within this metallic shell. That's what I call a win-win. Ah, Sergeant. Captain! This is not something I say very often, so I hope you appreciate it in the spirit in which it was intended. Good job. I figured the last word you were gonna say was it. Sign of a good Sergeant, completely in tune with his CO. So now what are we gonna do, sir? That software cloud is seeping back out of the ship, and most of the crew seems to have been unaffected by the incursion. But we're thousands of light years from the nearest Imperial outpost. I'm just an old soldier, sir, but even I understand that uh, even at top speed, we wouldn't make it back to friendly territory for a few centuries at best. And that's assuming we can get the engines back online after detonating an EMP device inside the ship. Well spotted. Thank you, sir. A lesser commander might decide that it's prudent to just start heading home and hope against all rational logic that some expedient path presents itself. Maybe stop and pick some flowers on the way. Do I strike you as a flower enthusiast, Sergeant? No, sir. Can't say that you do. Well spotted. The way I see it, our only option is to get the essential systems running and switch the environmental systems over to cryonic preservation mode. It may indeed take a few centuries for us to get there, and the statistical projections tell us that half the crew probably won't survive the cryonic process, but I'll be damned if I'm going to go down in history as the captain who lost the most valuable ship the Empire ever built. Understood, Captain. I'll brief the men. 
And what should we do with what's left of your yeoman, sir? There must be some airlock on this ship that thing will fit through, in tiny pieces if necessary. Aye, sir. Me again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, show don't tell, but here's the thing. Literally nothing happened for over a hundred years after the crew went into cryonic mode. Trust me, you think you want to listen to a thousand Imperial officers and soldiers snoring lightly in real time for an entire century, but it's not actually as interesting as you think. So the full bullet drifted inexorably homeward. Triple redundant computer navigation checked, rechecked, and rechecked the course. That's what triple redundant means. And as the captain alluded to, 47% of the crew could not withstand the physically grueling business of being frozen in a near-death state. So their bodies just decided to turn near-death into actual death, which takes considerably less effort to maintain. But the remaining 53% did what the blue people did best. They survived. Back on the other side of the galaxy, the struggle between Captain Salami's rebels and the Imperial status quo continued. The apparent destruction of the Empire's most advanced warship had given the insurgency some much-needed momentum. Within the decade, the Imperial capital had fallen. And within a century, which, you may recall, is a duration that's somewhat relevant to our story here, the Empire had rebuilt itself into a mighty, multi-species alliance dedicated to peaceful scientific contemplation and the collective improvement of all of its member races equally. They had even managed to incorporate humans from the planet Earth into their galactic alliance. I know, it sounds completely ridiculous and implausible, but that's what happened. I saw it. I'm an omniscient narrator. I see everything. It was into this new status quo that the Fulla Bulla eventually drifted. Its surviving crew was revived and, after a fashion, integrated into allied society. And when I say after a fashion, I'm glossing over a lot of resistance and attempted murder. Unsurprisingly, nobody resisted harder than Scuderius, who had spent the entirety of his life enacting the cruel policies of a tyrannical government devoted to total racial purity. But through a carefully administered regimen of therapy and medication, he was eventually considered fit for duty as a lower officer on the Alliance starship Frozen Fire. Oh, and just to be clear, it wasn't a sinister regimen of therapy and medication like you get in so many other science fiction stories. It is the position of this narrator that the significance of proper psychiatric care not be understated or mocked. Mental health is no joke. You wanted to see me, sir? Come in, Scuderius. Sit down. There's no easy way to say this, so I'll just get right to it. You seem to be having a bit of trouble adapting to the way we do things here, Lieutenant. With respect, Captain, I just keep thinking. If I'd put away some money before we began our flight test mission... You'd be exactly where you are now. We eliminated money from our society decades ago. How the hell does that work? We can synthesize nearly every resource we require, and those few we can't synthesize, we fairly barter with other civilizations who have what we need. But how do you compensate people for their labor? People work because they want to. Because it's what they're passionate about. That doesn't make a lick of sense. I can think of a hundred jobs off the top of my head that no one in their right mind would ever be passionate about. You're telling me you don't want to be here on my ship? Why should that matter, sir? Why should what I want have any bearing on the efficient operation of this vessel? Interesting choice of words, Lieutenant. I have some statistics I'd like you to review. This is the overall efficiency rating for the most productive ship in the fleet during your era. Starship full of bulla, Captain Scadarius commanding. Sea Captain, my way works. And these are the statistics of the least productive ship in our current fleet. Whose ship is this? Well, in the interest of sparing their feelings, that information has been omitted. But these... Uh... There's no way these numbers can be right. There is, and they are. 
Fact is, even on ships where there are a few challenges... Problems. Uh, we, we prefer challenges. Even on those ships, the efficiency ratings outclassed the best your empire had to offer. These people want to be here. They're given positive reinforcement and regular encouragement. They're happy and well-rested. And as a result, they work harder and better. Mm. What was that, Lieutenant? I, I said, you may have a point, Captain. May I please return to duty? Is that what you want? When you two have finished realigning the gravitational prism arrays on these shuttles, I'll have some additional tasks for you. Come see me on the bridge. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. I imagined a number of possible futures for myself and for the Empire, and none of them involved taking orders from a goddamn robot. There are probably less hurtful ways you could refer to synthetics. There almost certainly are. There are also probably much more hurtful ones. If I think about it long enough, I'm certain I can think of a few. You know, an ancestor of mine on Earth used to say, In an infinite universe, itself a facet of an infinite multiverse, I cannot fathom a scenario in which I give two-tenths of a single fuck what your ancestor on Earth used to say, Lieutenant St. Corby. I feel like you're having a hard time adjusting, Lieutenant Scuderius. When we were revived, I I was given several massive piles of literature to acclimate myself to the way things are now. And one question that kept surfacing as the years progressed and people got softer was, what is the meaning of life? I don't think you mean softer. I think you mean more introspective. No, I mean softer. We got comfortable. You got complacent. We're going to have to agree to disagree on this, I suppose. This is exactly what I mean. People in the Empire never said things like, agree to disagree. If you agreed to disagree, that meant one of you was about to kill the other. And you think that way is better? Yes! No, I don't know. It's... It's preferable. Hmm. To my original point, it never occurred to us to ask what the meaning of life was. The answer was inherent in the question. I don't follow. Life is its own meaning. You live because if you stop living, you're not alive anymore. But that's not living, that's surviving. Yes. The truth is, there is no meaning to life. The universe is cold and indifferent to ambulatory bags of chemicals that try to shape it to their own narrow perspectives. We found a better way. We discovered that there was a way to not only survive, but to thrive. By embracing other cultures, incorporating multiple viewpoints, and working together to achieve the best future for us all. Just hearing those words makes me clench up in involuntary rage. It's counterintuitive to everything I ever knew. The only way I could carve out some kind of meaning in my existence was to ignore questions like that, focus on my work, to become the best galactic conquistador I could be, to the exclusion of everything else. Family, friends, recreational pursuits, these were all just distractions. If my life was to have a purpose, it followed that I would want to be as fulfilled in that sense of purpose as I possibly could be. Do you mean happy? No, I mean fulfilled. And are you? Were you? As long as I don't ever have to stop and think about it, yes. But that's not how things are here. Here, you get your orders from half a dozen different superiors, and they expect you to confer with at least as many of your peers and your subordinates. Your goddamn subordinates! They're there to be subjugated, not to provide their input. So I ask you again, do you think our way is wrong? I want to say that I do, but it seems to work. People are happy. Beings that I never would have even imagined regarding as people are happy. And they have the time to ask questions like, what is the meaning of life? That question really terrifies you, doesn't it? I don't know, but the answer sure as hell does. The hell is that? It looks like a fleet-wide alert of some kind. Fleet-wide? Some kind of massive electromagnetic cloud has entered allied space and has been disabling- Disabling vessels, absorbing living beings, rendering entire planets inert. How did you- Let me guess. It's continuing to grow exponentially, and every attempt to communicate with it has been unsuccessful. You've seen this before? I know what I have to do. What are you doing? You can't just take that shuttle. We have security measures to prevent- Get behind the retaining wall! What? Why? Do it! All right, here I go. But why? Are you insane? You just blew a hole in the- Where the hell is he going? 
Oh, well, the hold's closed at least. Single occupancy vessel. You will be digitized by the system. Do you wish to continue? Can I say no? No, you may not. I thought you were calling yourselves the cloud now. That name was considered and rejected when... Hold, please. I'm not going anywhere. Processing. Data retrieved. You are Captain Scalarius. You are the being that temporarily disabled us on system date 6. The very same. Your previous attitude was one of serious resistance. We find it unlikely that you have returned for voluntary digitization now, unless you've been psychologically altered in some way. Let's not diminish the importance of proper mental care, please. I assure you, I am here voluntarily, in defense of the people you're about to digitize. Explain. These people, and believe me, this violates some seriously fundamental principles to say, are good. Centuries ago, when our race possessed a corporeal form much like your own, we sent a team of scientists to observe your world. It was a brutal place, populated by murderous savages. Many believed that the hostile environment in which they had evolved made them that way, but this understanding did nothing to prevent them from murdering our scientists, seizing our research facility, and ultimately building an interstellar empire on the foundation of the technology they stole from us. Your people are a plague, Captain. That may have been true in the past, and I'll be the first to admit that I'm a walking, talking representation of that past. But they've changed. They're not like that anymore. Irrelevant. So nothing I say will convince you to spare these people? Nothing. Very well. I did my best, which is all a man can ever be expected to do. I submit myself to you for digitization. You do realize that your corporeal form will not survive this process, that some semblance of your consciousness may live on within our vast network, but that your individual sense of self will be lost forever. Bring it. Digitization process commencing. Accessing short-term memory. <coughs> Accessing long-term memory. <coughs> Accessing Concentrating as he had never before concentrated, Scuderius brought forth the anger and rage of a lifetime. Sacrifices made in the name of duty, hardships endured for the sake of his empire, moral bankruptcy declared for the so-called greater good, and the soul-crushing disappointment of realizing that none of it mattered. A life without purpose. An existence dedicated to cruelty in the name of a cause that failed. And above all, a universe that he objectively knew would be a better place without him in it. But decades of sharpening his synapses and reactions to razor-sharp points of cold efficiency had actually paid off. The system had expected some measure of emotional chaos as it had experienced in countless other encounters with biological life, but it had never encountered such pure, white-hot malice on this level before. Its fail-safes were not prepared for the sudden, overwhelming sensation that washed over its vast, immaterial presence, a sensation of complete and total self-loathing. And before it was entirely aware of what was occurring, that self-loathing took control and ended the system. And so our story ends, as so many great stories do, with an explosion. Scuderius had succeeded in preserving the utopian society in which he saw no role for himself, with the power of his own hatred. And yet, despite this rather dark turn of events, this still technically qualifies as a happy ending. Aren't stories fun? Blue People featured Duncan Bosco, Christy Brannan, Caitlin Obum, Kara O'Connor, Nicole Santora, Amanda Smith, and Ron Algar-Watt, with special archival appearances by Robert Cooper and Jason Ellis. It was written and directed by Ron Algar-Watt for Algar Productions, copyright 2017.